This week on the PC Perspective Podcast, an analog keyboard, new entry-level AMD APUs with Vega graphics, the latest RTX 2060 rumors, a look at the history of PC Per, and of course, the picks of the week. It's all coming up next on the first episode of 2019. Hey everyone, welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 527, being recorded Wednesday, January 2nd, 2019. I'm Jim Tannis. I'm Jeremy Holstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. I'm Sebastian Peak. And we're so glad you could join us. We hope everyone had a wonderful holiday, a great new year, and we're back in action. But you may notice something different this week. We're not in the church. We're not in the Church of Higher Processing. And that's because... There's been some changes. As you probably know, a few months ago, our founder and editor-in-chief, Ryan Shrout, left to take a very exciting job at Intel. And right before the Christmas break, he decided he needed some help. And so he turned to two of the most qualified people not already working at Intel, and that's Ken Addison and Alan Malventano. So unfortunately, they've decided to abandon us and... uh, as much as we wish them well and are excited for what they're going to do uh, for, uh, well, not Big Blue, I guess that's IBM, but current Blue, I don't know, whatever you want to call Intel, as much as we're excited for that, uh, we decided we didn't want to see this end. We have a lot of stories to tell. We've got a lot of work to do, and we've got a great cast still around at PC Per. So we're going to keep things going, and uh, we're kicking it off here with this. We just have to do things a little differently because we had to move out of the church because that's now sort of unofficial Cincinnati Intel headquarters. And so we're going to be uh, establishing some new practices, some new policies, some new ways of doing things. Uh, but I'm very excited to announce that we have a new editor-in-chief, and I couldn't be happier uh, to pick, or I couldn't think of anyone better for the job, and that is Sebastian Peak, your very own fan favorite, Sebastian. So he'll be taking over as editor-in-chief, and we'll continue to uh, work through the the process here we're not going to be recording the shows live like we used to. They'll still go out on Thursdays as a regular RSS item. And we hope to get that back, though, uh, soon. It's just we need to get our new process. We're doing this through Google Hangouts now. We're experimenting with some other options. So uh, if you have any suggestions for us, please shoot us a, a, an email or a tweet. And we will try to get things back smoothly as quickly as possible. But there's still lots of work to do. So without any further ado, your new editor-in-chief of PC Per, Sebastian Peak. Hello again. Uh, I'm very excited to take over and I have a lot of ideas for content. And this is a crazy time of the year, too, because obviously all these changes have just happened. We just went through the holidays and uh, CES is next week, like immediately starting next week. So uh, once that settles down and we get through all the CES news, you're going to see some new content. We have some ideas for some new content and getting back into video a little bit more and just some things like that. So while obviously a lot of things have changed behind the scenes, you're not really going to see that because there's still going to be a steady stream of really good content that, you know, stuff that I'm excited about and a lot of good things that we already have in the works. So definitely keep, keep going to pcper.com because you're, it's, uh, there's quite a bit uh, that we have to say still. So moving on. Uh, real quick, a note on Extra Life, Jim. I know that you had uh, captained our Extra Life team 
yeah, uh, I, for the I very, very short it. duration. Right into an iceberg. Like we we were the stern of the ship was still in the port and we hit the iceberg and went down. So this was my first time as an extra life uh host or participant, you know, not just a donator. And so I didn't realize, I thought, obviously, they, they categorized the donations on a calendar basis or for tax purposes. I didn't realize that all the donations had to happen, all the campaigns had happened within a calendar year. So we launched ours December 26th or something like that and ran out of time because with all these changes here at the site and with the holidays, I didn't have time to coordinate some of our streams. So it ended. <laughs> I logged in one day uh, yesterday and they said, oh, your page is over. That, this campaign's over. So apologize for that. We did raise a thousand dollars that that money will go to the children's hospital. And so that means we're going to start fresh in 2019. So very shortly here in the next week or so, we'll get a new campaign up for the whole calendar year. We'll have plenty of time this, this time around, and we'll let you know what the plans are there for some live streams featuring all of us here and, and hopefully some guests too. We'll pro- uh, try to bring in some, uh, some other folks from the, uh, the community to join us. It'd be pretty funny if people get to vote on what we play and some of the Either wonderful or horrendous things that they force us to play for hours upon hours. Yeah. Can't One even of the imagine. early suggestions I had for the for the short-lived campaign was Goat Simulator. 24 hours of Goat Simulator. I almost feel like that's too kind. Like, uh, that would Jim, be a whole lot of fun. Yeah. Jim, uh, you have to play Quest 64 for 24 oh, hours straight. Okay. <laughs> Look, I'm all about you know, it's for It's for the children. Yeah, sure. I, what's I what's worse? I, I This... Yeah, Desert we can come bus. up with something. Desert bus. Okay, so uh, not much of a weekend review because, of course, holidays happened. But we still got a review up. Uh, we have a review of the Wooting One analog keyboard. Uh, Jim, you want to take this one? Sure. Uh, this is a review uh, put up by Chris, uh, Chris Coke, uh, right uh, right before it was New Year's Eve, actually. That's right. Right before the year ended. And this is, this is a really interesting keyboard. This had been crowdfunded, uh, when a couple of years ago, I guess. And the whole idea of it is that it's an analog optical keyboard. And that sounds a little funky, uh, because there's some, there's optical devices, input devices, but they're generally a, a laser that gets turned on and off just like a, a switch. What the Wooting does, and there's some other devices from other manufacturers coming out soon that mimic this behavior is it uses mirrors to kind of slowly cut the light off. And then that angle of the light determines how much the key is being pressed and it converts your keyboard, which is normally an on or off thing into an analog input device. Um, and the, the, the idea here is if you're playing on the PC, some things are just better with a controller or with an analog form of input. You want to be able to steer precisely in a racing game. You want to be able to tiptoe in a stealth game. And the way that the controls are normally implemented is, is it's not, there's not different keys for that. It's, it's variations of the amount you're pressing that can move you uh, a certain level, a certain amount. Uh, and so what Wooting does here is they convince the game that you're using a combination of a controller and a keyboard. And so your movement keys, your arrow keys are analog, but your other keys are, or or, or not all, so either arrow or WASD are analog. And then your other keys are just normal keys, key presses. And so from the game's perspective, it thinks you're switching back and forth. And that lets you have analog control for that precise movement and quick digital control for the, uh, 
for the other keys that don't require analog. Uh, another benefit of this is, let's say you were using a controller because you wanted analog controls, you, you lose the precision of a mouse. So if it's like a, a first person shooter or something. With this, you get analog controls for movement and the precise aiming from your mouse because you're only using the two devices. It's not perfect. Um, some of the uh, uh, games don't support that fast switching between a controller and a keyboard. Most AAA titles do, but you may encounter some games that don't. Uh, also, in terms of the the what you get, it's $160, and the keys that come with it, uh, Chris noted, are not great. The keycaps, they're single, uh, single shot, uh, thin plastic. You can buy better keys, uh, so there's an option for an upgrade there, but you're going to have to factor factor in that cost because uh, you're probably not going to be happy at this price point with the keys you get. Um, another uh, another option is you can you can customize RGB and stuff, but they don't have like per game macros support yet, and they've been promising that for I think he said over a year, but they haven't really? released it yet. So you're not for a gaming, you know, because this kind of the feature set here is like hardcore gamer. And uh, you'd think that they would kind of support that stuff. The macro stuff is is pretty, pretty crucial to that market, but they don't have it. So that's going to be a limitation there as well. And again, it's not that they couldn't implement it. It's a, it would be a software thing, but they haven't gotten around to getting that software out. And they're already promoting the replacement through this, the Wooting 2. Uh, but overall, he says he likes it. It's if you're missing that analog input, that that sort of uh, precise, uh, gradual uh, ramping of your your movement in games, uh, check it out. It's a 10 keyless keyboard, $160. Uh, but because of its limitations, because it doesn't work with every game, because it is 10 keyless, you, you might want the number pad. And uh, because of the lack of macros and stuff, you may want to skip on this one but but uh, so it didn't win an award or anything but it's something to consider it's a very unique and promising development in the keyboard market which has been pretty stale in terms of like there's lots of features lots of software all kinds of rgbs but the basic here's how you input through a computer or through a keyboard into into a computer that hasn't changed in years and decades and this is a big shift there so it, this is a first step not perfect but something to check out and that's the wooting one Analog optical keyboard, $160. You can check it out over at the Wooting.io website. And Wooting is W-O-O-T-I-N-G. Deeply seems to... they're not calling the follow-up the tooting. <laughs> <laughs> it has some interesting uh, possibilities, I guess. Analog, you would think that via software you could have very fine control over actuation point, maybe, since they're measuring the the reflection, I think, measuring the height somehow. I mean, you could have it as, uh, you know, instead of, you know, like in racing games, you can be an actual keyboard racer uh, because you'd have control over braking and acceleration. Yeah, you you can adjust the actuation point, um, but the total travel distance is very minimal. So, and, and he said you get used to it, but if you're, you're going to, if you switch between keyboards often or you first sit down to it, you, you, you have to really have a feather touch in order to truly take advantage of the of the space you have to depress the key and and get that that uh, level of of input that you're looking for. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I've been married for twenty years, and there's a reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, terrible! Oh, uh, uh, yeah. You know what isn't terrible? Cheap 
AMD processors. Uh, AMD announced availability of their Athlon processors with Vega graphics, these new APUs that are Zen-based, the 200GE series. Although thus far, only the 200GE is for sale anywhere that I've seen. Uh, I'm actually on Newegg right now looking, and I don't see the 220 or yeah, just the 200. But what these are, you're basically getting dual-core uh, four-thread parts with, I think these all have the same graphics core. They all have a 3CU graphics core running at 1 gigahertz. Mm-hmm. These are all 35 watt parts. So what these kind of look like to me is this, this is in at 35 watts. That's like high end mobile where, you know, Intel's high end mobile stuff goes up to 45 watts. I think the HK or is it HQ parts. So this, these almost could be notebook parts or small form factor PC parts, mini PC parts if they're actively cooled. But Certainly for some sort of uh, lower power application, it provides some interesting possibilities in the market depending on exactly what form factor you're going after and what you're building with it. But uh, yeah, it's a nice little, uh, it's a nice little option for only 55 bucks for the 200 GE. And of course, you know, when, when they start, you know, pumping these things out, it's going to be cheaper. Uh, 3.2 gigahertz is not exactly extremely fast. But for the kind of applications you're looking at, it's still going to, you know, be a decent gaming processor. It's, you know, going to have graphics on there. I mean, if you want to build a little machine for mom and dad, then this is certainly uh, something you could do and be extremely inexpensive. And uh, but, you know, still snappy. It'll still have good 3D uh, uh, capabilities and support. Um, You get up there with the 220 and what, 240? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, models? And, yeah, and the only difference is just the uh, clock speed. And TV yeah, the base frequency goes up a little bit. You're paying ten bucks for 200 megahertz of base. Yeah, and the problem is that you can't just get the 200 and overclock it, or can you? Which is the follow-up story here, as Jeremy posted, and uh, Jeremy, you had said what was it MSI? I wonder yep. if this has already been corrected, if they've if they've sent out a BIOS update. But if that BIOS version is still available. Or if you know someone who was smart enough to grab it. Right. You will be able to unlock these GE processors, which is something that was not allowed before. And we kind of thought maybe this was based on the processor, and the processor itself wasn't going to be able to let you overclock, but it's 100% proven that if you're running a B450 or a B350 uh, from MSI, you can update to their latest BIOS, and all of a sudden, you can unlock it. And bumping that uh, the the $55 200G that we were just talking about up to 3.8 gigahertz base for free is a little bit nicer than paying to uh, you know an extra 20 bucks for a bit more frequency, and we haven't seen the 240 or the 220 so we don't know if they can get a little bit better as well so i mean if you see the bios grab it hold on to it you might need it or a friend might need it so is this multiplier unlocking you're talking about just 
changing the multiplier and getting the the free overclock that way or is this like base base frequency like a base clock it was uh well i mean it looks like it's multiplier they didn't okay. show interesting because like, I, I was hoping they'd show pictures of the of the bios and they didn't yeah. right they're using the msi click bios interface but you can see that the the ratio is what they were changing Okay. So the, the assumption is that's what it is. It's not that you can actually change uh, your, the actual bus speed on it. That's odd because you'd think, well, if it's multiplier lock, that's at the CPU level. You'd and, think. Hmm. It reminds me of uh, core unlocking, which was my favorite thing about AMD processors <laughs> back in like 2008, No pencil required. Well, even, uh, what was it? I bought a... Sempron 140, I think was the mm-hmm. one. Just a single core, like $30, $35 processor. And you could unlock the second core and then overclock the snot out of it. So I was running it at close to 4 gigahertz, pretty stable on my Windows XP machine with two cores. But, uh, yeah. Well, this this didn't something like this happen on Intel's side a few years ago, too? There was yes, a, I can't was, remember the chipsets. You know, yeah, like one one motherboard had an update that accidentally enabled it and it was I think this was back in the days when they were going to try and charge you for that little unlock card to let you overclock your CPU by a little bit. No, I think it was I mean it was something to do with like it was a non-K part but on this particular board and with that particular firmware it could be unlocked. And it wasn't that I mean it was within the last 5 years I think. Okay. But yeah, so not official though. Don't count on it being there. Get it if you can. It, but yeah, if you can, hey, free, free speed <laughs> on a fifty-five dollar processor. And yeah, and the two hundred G is the only one available currently. So simulate yeah. that two forty right now. Um, another bit of uh, kind of a blast from the past was Dell, which this is this news is a week old now, but Dell. Without an IPO, is now once again a publicly traded company. It was kind of an interesting. Have some weird laws down there. Yeah, this, this scenario. Apparently, something about their holdings in VMware, and through this buyback, we're able to. I don't even. I I won't even pretend to understand exactly how this happened, but it did happen. And they opened up at $46 a share. Rough time of year to do that. Pretty volatile lately. Hmm. I'm Rough curious time of the year for all the people that used to be stockholders until Michael Dell bought it back. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, yeah, hey, let's invest in this again. Well, hey, your investment would pay off because they're currently trading at $47.12. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So interesting, uh, and and they they actually have been doing quite well relative to the market, according to the Reuters report I was reading, which basically showed that their their PC business is has been up in the last quarter. So it's, it seems like they were striking while the iron was hot. Though again, uh, odd timing. Just a little bit, because you know, by all accounts, uh, they enjoyed going private again uh, they had a lot more control over the company they they didn't have any of those pesky shareholders to uh, try to please and so they're able to to get into areas that 
probably with you know being publicly traded they they weren't able to do and so maybe they had a roadmap of of stuff that they they felt that they wouldn't be able to do as public and then you know got it done and now that these things are done which you know they don't really have to report on much as long as you know if like another company is private then these acquisitions probably won't get a whole lot of uh I'm just talking out of my butt right now, but you know, <laughs> you know it sounds good though. Yeah, that's you know, if you say enough things that are lies, but in a forceful manner, people will do it. But no, I mean, it could very well be. I mean, they've made changes internally, I and mean, they may have hired more people, let them go, and they don't have to report out of that crap to shareholders, so they can do what they want and stick it to the man. Yeah, power to the people. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, the good thing about being publicly traded is that there's interesting avenues of funding. So yeah, anyway. they, that, that original move that he made about six years ago to take it private, that was not just him. He leveraged that with uh, money from, I think it was quite a bit of money from Microsoft and yeah. that Silver Lake group. Yeah, something to the tune of 24 billion dollars that yeah that they were essentially able to privately fund the buyback i don't think dell even put up 50 percent of it well they're hmm Let's see what was there they opened at 16 billion in valuation so seems that the company is worth a bit less than it was at the time of the buyback or i don't understand no, how that it's, worked it's not the entire yeah it's it's really confusing because yeah. i mean the company's still worth plenty and more than that 16 billion okay. uh, and more probably than the 24 billion it took to, to buy back. But it's uh, yeah. Cause this is somehow tied into VMware and uh, VMware is, you know, its own company and it still has its own stocks being traded. So I'd have to, you know, dig a little bit more into this to, to see how they did it. But, you know, somehow it's the Dell shares were tied to those VM shares and they, bought like a 51% share so I can't remember which oh, but okay. yeah it's uh now like out of thin air all these shares appeared and shenanigans yeah relevant portion of this being does a public company again if you're interested in that we don't know anything else about the rest all right jim go down to the local valid finance major hey you know what though arm now at first when i saw this story about arm and their cortex a65 ae with smt i thought okay it says self-driving vehicles industrial automation not really that interesting for the enthusiast community but as i continued reading it kind of hit me this is arm with smt that this is they've never done that before they've never arrived that as an option nope so it it seems like this is actually kind of huge especially if moving forward they have any kind of presence or desire any kind of presence in like the desktop world like i, I wonder how long it'll take before this shows up in mobile first of all or what operating systems will be able to take advantage of smt or if they already can. I, want, I don't I think, think it would be that hard for Android. Yeah, I think they're already, they, they can support SMT. But, uh, you know, it's SMT is a, it's a strange kind of bird. Um, it, and especially when you're talking mobile stuff, because you've got these, you know, kind of pipelines that clock up and down. And when you're doing SMT 
type processing, um, they're kept at full utilization or as, you know, as, as utilized as they can. And so you don't get any of those kind of power savings that, that we, you know, see with mobile. Um, so it, in, you know, in theory, uh, it could eat more power and, you know, have a higher thermal envelope just because you're, you have a greater utilization of the CPUs. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's going to really depend on the application and, uh, where they put it in with cars, not such a big deal. Having extra threads is a nice thing. Having greater utilization is fine in a cell phone. I mean, that's why we've got big cores, little cores. And if you add SMT into the mix, it's going to make things a lot more complex. I mean, if you really think about it. So it's nice to have that there. Uh, there's more tricks to get an SMT to work well than, than you know, just kind of adding it in. You yeah, really I almost wonder if this is not really destined for mobile so much as it would be. Well, obviously, this is servers, specific, servers, yeah. servers and cars would be fine. Yep. This is, I'm, I'm looking for actual there's no actual power numbers here, but this has to take up a lot more power than. The, yeah, it, but a lot of power for ARM doesn't even come close to minimum power for AMD or Intel. True. Anyhow, if you're interested uh, there's quite a bit of information about that. Uh, Arm has published uh, a paper about this, apparently, which is the source of that article. So check it out. Just thought it was kind of interesting. You know, here we have Arm, which is looking more and more just like a regular, you know, kind of processor option and not just a mobile low power part. Yeah, I had a, a very interesting conversation with uh, two of my cousins, which are financial advisors. They work for investors group and handle millions and millions of dollars. And they were actually asking me about ARM because all of a sudden it's popping up on their investment portfolios as something you want to invest in. And they're like, "What? I've never heard of these guys before. What the hell are you talking about? I'm like, well, <laughs> one, they're the biggest processor company on the planet. You just don't know it. Uh, and two, trying to explain how they're meeting, uh, like they're trying to get into the server industry by raising the amount of power draw, the power that they're producing versus everyone's favorite AMD and Intel, which we've heard about that are trying to lower their power draw. And, you know, so I think they're going to be looking into it because, like, this sort of product from ARM really does make them attractive, not just as techies, but, you know, as companies looking to invest in the future. Although I'm not looking forward to trying to figure out which of the 128 processors in a big array was the one that died and I need to replace it. But it Just won't throw, die, throw Jeremy. Out the whole rack at that point. <laughs> yes. Well, it's only forty bucks. What the hell? Right. <laughs> <laughs> These are just disposable cards at this point. You pull it out, and it's, it looks like a stick of memory. Mm. Like, yeah, it's just some whatever. I don't think of the traces on the cardboard like that. That's kind of neat. <laughs> well, I don't have a clever transition, but another piece of interesting news that was actually a f- uh, came out a few days ago of uh, Nvidia OC scanner. This is an API that they released with their RTX series of cards that was already in, you know, MSI Afterburner for automated overclocking. And now... MSI likes to let you overclock things you're not supposed to. Yes, they do. And I have always appreciated it. But now, apparently, the latest... Uh, beta, it's uh, Afterburner 4.6.0 beta 10, 
uh, it offers full Pascal support. So now all of your GTX 10 series cards can be automatically overclocked. So there's a link in the article to go right to the page to download this latest beta, which apparently they are saying is going to be like their final version of this. So it's really less of a beta and more of just like a, a release. You got to be careful though. I mean, they may have changed it by now, but when I tried to download this, the official file listed at MSI's website is beta nine. So oh, I really? Go, yeah. I go through to Guru 3D or file. What did file. I link to? Let's uh, Guru 3D. Guru 3D. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I got it there. But uh, okay. if you just check when you're downloading it that you're getting the right version because I, I didn't realize it and was like, this isn't working. Liars. I wonder if I should try this with my ROG card or if that's just a bad idea. Well, I was using it on reference Pascal Titans okay. and it works. Uh, it's it takes a long time and if you try to at least in my case if i tried to push man because you, you set a baseline of your power and temperature thresholds and if you try to push that before you do the scan it crashed on me every time <laughs> uh, going from baseline though from stock and letting it do its thing it worked and it, it, it took like 45 minutes but i and i got an overclock but the overclock was probably seven or i, I had the numbers written down it was seven eight percent less than what I was able to squeak out manually. So great for a uh, great starting point if you want to go further. And obviously if you're a, a novice and you're not comfortable with this stuff, it's something to to look into because you can, I mean, it's free. You know, most of these cards have headroom, so use it. Indeed. And then I don't know who wants to talk about this. We have some, I know I did a roundup. I think it was like two weeks ago. There's just the every video card launch, there are inevitably going to be all sorts of rumors and leaks or purported leaks and people looking for clicks. And yet again, we have more uh, NVIDIA stuff. Who wants to talk about this? Well, coming up at CES, NVIDIA, who's going to be at CES, will be announcing a new card at CES called the GTX or the RTX 2060. It will be revealed at CES. I'm sure that. Someone will cover it. I don't have to go. And I'm very happy about that because I don't like going to CES because, well, it's CES. But apart from that, uh, the, the 2060, which uh, we've known it was coming out. It, it did not make sense for them to refresh the RTX and not provide something that isn't 500 bucks plus. Uh, it, it, not all of us can manage that. And so it's a bit pared down. I mean, you're down to 1920 CUDA cores. Uh, you lose another six RT cores down to 30. The tensor cores isn't too bad. It sticks at 240. Uh, and the 20 FND is 288. So it's it's not horrible. It's not a huge loss. Memory is going to get trimmed down to six gigabytes, gigabytes, which, and as you see a lot of game reviews going, most games barely touch six, occasionally manage to go slightly above seven. So you're not going to see like a huge impact of all of a sudden your textures can't load. Uh, the base clock cuts down to a 1365 base with a 1680 boost, which is honestly within like 30 megahertz of the founder's edition. So you're not going to see a huge loss that way. And the memory clock still runs at the same. So it, it looks like an interesting thing on paper. Uh, we won't be able to see this card until CES, and I doubt we'll be able to play with it at CES. But 
at least we'll get a better idea of when it is that we're going to see this bloody thing come out so that we can test test it because at a launch of 350 American, all of a sudden it's sitting at a price that scares the hell out of the RX Vega five or 56. It's depending on how it performs, maybe scary for the Vega 64, significantly more expensive. And of course, you know, there's always that wonderful little confusion about the MSRP is 350 bucks. What's it actually going to sell at? Yeah. 399. Yeah. I hope not. Where is Vega 56 right now as far as pricing? It's I... 330. Okay, that's very compelling. Yeah, I'm still in this 400. mindset where it's they're unavailable and when they are available they're like twice their MSRP, but I was recently seeing some 64s that were 399. I'm like, "Wow, they're actually coming back down to where they yeah, should be." Their stock after all this yeah. time even yep. though that was the absolute darling of I don't even know what particular version of a digital coin that was those were so valuable for I don't know if it was Ethereum like or the yeah yeah and the the pricing in this article uh as of yesterday I guess uh, that Tim found that's what he was able to find but look around and don't pay some of these prices no oh, god sure. no just wait until tomorrow it'll change yeah. And, you know, and, and if, if all this is true, uh, based on the leaks that were provided uh, to, was it video? Yeah, video cards. Um, it's it's interesting because they were, some people were saying you can turn on ray tracing at 1080p in certain games and mm-hmm. get an acceptable frame rate. And that's, that's pretty remarkable. Uh, and at least based on how ray tracing performed or the performance that we saw initially when the higher end RTX uh, cards launched so if if you get a taste of ray tracing at those lower resolutions and you get 1070 ti performance for 100 dollars less 150 dollars less that's a, a nice upgrade path that puts ray tracing in more people's hands because that's where we're at we're at that point now where this is the future i mean right it's it's that's how long it takes to get there is is a question but the more ray tracing capable gpus we can put or the more GPUs with dedicated ray tracing hardware we can put into the market, the better. Yeah, I, I agree with you on it being the future because if you think about the the story of 3D, it always seems like what we had available to us on the PC was a very, very small subset of what was being used in like professional production for like, 3D visual effects, and then, of course, 3D animated movies, starting with Toy Story in the mid-90s. So ray tracing is, of course, used for big-budget 3D effects and movies, but it's, like, rendered over time. The idea of doing it in real time at home is kind of crazy still. And I I need to... I probably see a lot more titles that support it before, you know, it really becomes a mainstream thing. But right now we have Battlefield Five, of course is the one that everybody's using to test this. We have a dedicated ray tracing benchmark coming, which will be nice. Mm-hmm. But what else is out there? What besides Battlefield 5, where are uh, your ray tracing titles? Shadow of the Tomb Raider, right? Oh, it does. Okay. Oh, it's already a pretty good looking game too, actually. So that would be all right. I'll have to I'll have to look at that. There's so many things I want to try. I want to try this OC scanner thing and I want to try a bunch of, you know, special effects and things, but uh, 
in the brief time that I've served as editor in chief so far, I've had very little time to actually play with anything. Like I took those RTX 2080 and 2070 cards home and I haven't been able to do anything with them yet. No shadow of the Tomb Raider for me, unless it's just staring at a benchmark. Yes, you will do much of that. This is your life now. I, I know. It's it's cool to have hardware, but it's not as cool to actually, you know, test and write about it ad nauseum. <laughs> right. I just feel like I'm being punished because I got it home and then it was like, get ready for the holidays. And then it was the holidays. And now it's CES. Yep. I've, I've played no games. And of course, when I do play games, I'm playing stuff that would run on probably a relatively powerful calculator. So like Matrox Mystique. Yeah. 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 But you you know, I do want our audio listeners just briefly check out the video of this this episode and look at Sebastian's setup. Because you if you've watched our episode our video shows, you've seen where he's in the same location he has always been. And you wouldn't know it. It's it's those special effects we're talking about. I'm actually being ray traced right now yes. in this 3D rendered environment. Wow, so that's actually your basement now? Yeah. Wow, that's that's good. That's a fast paint job you got on there, man. New IKEA desks and well, those are the yeah. same ones I've had before. This what I've what I've actually tried to do is recreate the office that I used to have before my son was born and kicked me out of my office. Because my wife insisted that he have his own room. I'm like, what? He's so small. He doesn't need his own room. Well, he can sleep in the basement. He can have his own room in the basement. Yeah, he could. Yeah. You know, speaking of of the basement, a little anecdote for everybody here. My son, I found him down here yesterday. I lost him in my house. I have a very small house. It's 780 square feet. I couldn't find him. What's that? You've got a very small son, too. I do. And I couldn't find him anywhere in the house. And I started to freak out. I'm like the front door is still closed and locked. Back door is closed. The, I walked to the basement door. It was closed. And it has one of those like safety handle things on it. So he can't open it. Uh, I couldn't find him. And uh, I finally just went down to the basement. And he was just walking around. He had uh, an iPhone. And he was watching Octonauts. And he was just messing around with stuff down here. I don't know how he got down here or why he closed the door after himself, but it happened. Boy, or, that, that, or I imagined all of it. That kind of reminds me of, of one of the first times that uh, a buddy of mine volunteered to take a look care of our, our son. When we first got him, probably about four or five months after, you know, and he was 22 months old. So he could walk around and kind of communicate. And, and I know that we're going off on, you know, all land tangents but uh the kid didn't like being left alone with him and so he would run into the office that vic was at and just start yelling at him and screaming and crying and then run away and then he'd come and check back and make sure that <laughs> make sure he was still, there. was still there and he'd scream and yell and then cry and he'd run away and and finally it got really quiet and uh you know vic was just kind of you know browsing around on the computer and looking at the internet and it's like, maybe I should go check on this kid. And he looked around. He could not find Ty anywhere. Nowhere. I mean, he was just, he started looking out outside, looking around, calling him, whatever. And uh, finally, he went back up to the his room, which he had checked. But obviously, he didn't look close enough at the bed while well, the kid had just 
put himself to bed and covered himself up entirely with the blankets. So, yeah, panicking when uh, when children, small children, suddenly go missing. It's a real thing. Yeah, you can always make another one, right? Or grab another one. Yeah, sure. But there are so many questions to answer. And, yeah, you know, it's just not worth it. No. Moving along. Well, it is time for that uh, segment everybody looks forward to every week. Well, except for, you know, holiday weeks when we don't have a podcast, but picks of the week. If I may, uh, Mr. Editor-in-Chief, do we want to do that one special segment on the history? Oh, yes. I I thought we were going to do that after the picks, but yes. Oh, okay. Well, whatever you want to do. Who wants to? Do you want to just do it now? Let's do it now. All right. Well, Jeremy's the eldest, the elder statesman, so take it away. And I, I uh, don't even remember. Actually, I probably should but, explain this uh, to the. <laughs> I, don't, I honestly don't know how long it's been. Yeah, so we drugged him up. We dragged him out in the woods. No, uh, so we thought that this would be it's a New Year's show. There's been some changes. Um, a light show on topics. We thought it'd be fun to for for all the listeners' sakes kind of go over uh, where where we all came from. How did the hosts here end up at PC Per? Uh, just because we figured not a lot of people may know that. It's, it, it's been a staggered uh, crew that's come in here. So, Can we put some sort of uh, really schmaltzy music over this? Like, your PC Per story. Oh, Yeah, something like that. Perfect. Well, Jeremy, tell us what's yeah, your PC per story? Uh, an Asus motherboard touched me in a bad place. This was back in the days of the A7A266 when you still had Ali chipsets. And this particular motherboard uh, came with both. SD RAM and the, this new fangled technology called DDR. And it would support both, depending on how you switch the BIOS. And so I'm working through the manual and trying to figure out how the hell to get this thing going because it's just, it's talking about jumpers. And I'm looking and there's no jumpers, there's no dip switches, there's nothing, but there are some solder points that sort of match where the manual says that the dip switches would be. So I got out my pencil and sure enough, uh, they just didn't put it in. Finally booted up, uh, got to the end of the BIOS, which probably proclaimed it was a beta uh, that was sold to me and kept, you know, got it working and going, got at least onto the internet to try and figure out what the heck is going on here and was using one of the temperature monitors, which would suddenly say that my CPU hit 500 degrees Celsius and shut the machine down. 500 degrees. Uh, yes. Not 497. And, no, no. I, I managed to, to turn off the auto shutdown, and it literally looked like someone would take a shotgun and made a temperature map with it. Oh, it's 500 degrees. It's 8 degrees. It's 16 degrees. It's, it's 802 degrees. It's 45 degrees. And it just bounced all over the place, and it was unstable as all hell. So I'm digging around uh, in the Asus... Uh, what they they had for the support forums back in 2001, which was a lot of people bitching and screaming that the motherboard wasn't stable and not a single person offering any sort of advice. So I started Googling it around and there was this weird site came up called K7M. Like, 
well, that's not the motherboard I'm looking for, but at least it's the right manufacturer. And went, hung out in the forums for a bit, ended up chatting with some people, uh, convinced someone to, it was interesting to buy this board anyways for the troubleshooting. The two of us sort of figured it out and built up a nice little uh, guide on what to do if you find yourself buying an A7A266 and can't talk yourself out of it for whatever reason, which over a couple of years led to getting to know uh, a lot of the moderators that were hanging out at the, the forums and contributing to the, the boink and the, the folding frogs and the fragging frogs and the gaming. And back when uh, Tigsman and Tigris used to work at this place, they always would look for new submissions to post. And I was pretty good at spotting news posts that were relatively interesting and forwarding them on. And eventually, uh, for some personal reasons, they left the site. And Ryan offered me the job of, you know, collecting up news posts and getting them up on the front page for people to read. And I think there was some sort of something subliminal that he slipped into those private messages back and forth because I haven't left the place since. You poor bastard. That was, that was I, how long ago? That was... Uh, the forums say 2001. Oh, that wow. Sounds about right. About 17 years. Oh, close to 18, I guess, now. Oofta. Wow. I guess it's me next. Yeah, what's what's your story, Josh? My story? Uh, You know, I started writing in 1997. I started a a little hardware page, Josh, called Josh's Hardware Tech Page. Very original for the time. Uh, Started doing reviews. And then uh, I changed over to, I wanted to be more professional. And uh, started out a, a penstarsys.com. Doesn't really mean a whole lot. I don't know why I named it that way. I was young and dumb. Now Compu I'm just Global old Hyper and dumb. Meganet. What's that? Compu Global Hyper Meganet. Exactly. And uh, so it sounds cool, Josh. Yeah, it was it was five star systems. Originally, uh, the original idea was I was going to build PCs and sell products. At the same time, I'd be reviewing a lot of the the base products that all the stuff would be, you know, built upon, like Epox motherboards, tie-in motherboards, you know, whatever video cards. And uh, got away from actually selling stuff and just writing and and, and reviewing, and uh, you know, made some pretty good contacts throughout the years and kept things going. And in 2007, AMD invited me out to Tahoe uh, for their original Phenom release, and um, Hung out there for pretty much a weekend, and uh, I'd, I'd met Ryan multiple times throughout the years through, you know, Comdex in the early 2000s, and then, you know, NVIDIA releases like in 2004 really sticks out in my mind that that uh, we were at a big Masonic temple uh, where they had done the the original G4 6800 release, and uh, you know, I sat and talked to him for for quite a while. So you know, I. I knew Ryan and uh you know we played some some 21 and and after I was supposed to be heading home I had to check out of my room but he was still like staying an extra day and so I really had to use the bathroom and and he was he was <laughs> kind enough to allow me to to destroy things and and not say much about it but we got to talking and uh you know a couple of weeks later he emailed me and and said uh hey you know for you know a couple of bucks would you uh would you be willing to, uh, um, you know, write a couple articles and, and do some news and, and uh, you know, be on a podcast and whatnot with us? And 
And I thought, you know, I've been struggling trying to get advertising. A bunch of advertisers had just jumped ship in, in late 2007, early 2008. And, uh, you know, it just made sense to have a better, steadier income with a larger place and, uh, you know, have more opportunities to write about stuff. And so I got on that uh, January of 2008 and kind of shut down the uh, the old site. And, and yeah, I've, I've been here ever since. So that's my story. It's a good one. Sentimental. Is this Josh's uh, tech page on the Internet Archive? It is. Know. Oh, it it's is. You have to go that. to performance-inc.com about 1997. And uh, it's it's uh, you'll see a box that, you know, kind of looks fancy for the time. And, and yeah, that's the old penstarsys.com. So what, what's, the, uh, what's the URL? To um, performance-inc. dot c.com hmm. oh. uh, well, it's gonna I be will, i'll add i'll add some overlay here in, in post so gotcha enjoy that but uh, okay awesome long time ago all right who's all next right. is it is it me is it uh, jim you, well you were here before me so yeah you should go i i'm trying to think of when i actually discovered the site um, I didn't actually join until early 2014. I it was one of those things where because Ryan was doing, of course, the PC Perspective podcast, which I didn't know yet. I had just started listening to podcasts. So I was very late getting into this. So it was like early 2009, and I was listening to like I was searching for podcasts that dealt with either computers or technology, and I found, of course, a top recommendation was like This Week in Tech. So. I was listening to that and then like, what else? He has a whole network. Okay. What else is on here? And I'm like, okay, security now. And what's this thing called this week in computer hardware and listen to that. And then when Ryan would talk about something that was interesting, then I would go to the site and read about it. And then I was getting more and more enthusiastic about it again. I'd given up computer hardware for probably like three or four years at one point, just because I was working all the time and I had started on, like the socket a era and I was doing like socket a builds and then moved on to like the, or not socket a slot a. And then I moved on to socket a like the th- early Thunderbird stuff. And then I just kind of like stood pat on that stuff for a while and was mostly gaming on consoles for a while. Ew. And this was very motivational for me. I was like SSDs really got me back into it. And then seeing how far graphics cards had gone in like the last four or five years. And I can remember Josh talking about the first 40 nanometer GPU, which was an ATI or was it AMD already? The 4770. And thinking about, okay, well, if it's on 40 nanometer, it probably has a lot of overclocking headroom, but we'll see. And then this 45 nanometer. I think it was 40. There was a 40 early on. It was uh, in the 4,000. They did series. those. They used those strange half yeah. um, nodes. So I oh, okay. But it was hmm. like I was going to the site a lot more and I was like da- trying to figure out like I need an SSD. Is J Micron any good? What does Alan have to say about that and that whole saga? And anyway, just was a regular listener to the podcast and I tuned in when on Wednesday nights and was always going there like every day to read news. 
And eventually, uh, after coming up with my own, I, I had a, a blog where I barely put anything on it, but I thought, oh, I, need, I need to review stuff too, because I was buying stuff and updating my system on such a regular basis that I thought, uh, maybe I should start reviewing some of this stuff, because it just passes through my hands and it's gone in like four months. So message Ryan. I actually like directly emailed him, I think, and just said, hey... Uh, I, I have this this stuff and I have an interest in writing and here's some stuff that I've done. I sent him like links to my little uh, WordPress site that I'd made and he gave me a shot and I've been here ever since. That was almost five years ago. It was like, uh, this was like late January, early, early February 2014. I think my first article went up in early March. A stellar review of some DDR3 memory that was, I'm sure, read by dozens of people. Hey, doesn't matter. You you came from the outside and you took this whole place over in five years. That's impressive. Which is a little uh, surreal, actually. So I'm like, yeah. I was just, I was just a reader. I just liked the the site, and it was like a part of my life for a long time. And then I'm like, hey, why don't I see if they need any help? Because I I never saw, I didn't know how it worked. I'm like, do you just like ask somebody out of the blue? I didn't think he'd even see my email, but he responded to it. And look where you're at now. See your your photography and case review skills. Yep. I know. The world would yep. never have known that cases could be shot from the angles that I've shot cases from. Exactly. Yep. It's should be illegal. Groundbreaking. Three states. Yeah. Um, all right. And then my story is I'm the newest. Uh, it's been a few years. Uh, a few years ago, I was looking to turn my wife, my life around. So I walked into this church and it wasn't a church. No. <laughs> Uh, good story so, good story uh my story is similar to sebastian's in that i also found the site through this week in computer hardware so i guess shout out to ryan and patrick and colleen who used to host there and and leo and the whole twit network because that's how i find my way here it was probably 2007 or so maybe i, I started hearing listening to the show well my wife and i just got married we were renovating a condo so i was listening to all the episodes while i worked and uh and i was just a listener for maybe five years. Uh, and then right around 2013, I think, uh, or maybe 2014, I emailed Ryan just like Sebastian did a cold email and said, Hey, you looking for writers? Cause, um, I was a history major, wrote a lot of papers, just one of the things I was strong at and, uh, sent him some topics. He approved them. I wrote a couple stories and I ended up writing maybe half a dozen stories, uh, over the next two years, just kind of randomly as, as topics came up. Um, but Ryan being based in, in the Cincinnati area was, it was interesting because we used to live here and we ended up moving to Pennsylvania to be close to family. Uh, but my wife went to graduate school here for architecture. And uh, in the fall of 2016, so just a couple of years ago, she got a job offer to come back here and it was a great job for her. And so I emailed Ryan again and said, Hey, and that, now that by that point we knew each other, we weren't best friends or anything, but um, we, you know, he knew who I was. Uh, so I, I, I think actually I called him and, and just said, Hey, I'm coming back to town. And I have my own, I had another website that I was working on. That's sort of a general consumer PC and Mac website called tech review. I said, can I rent a desk in your new office? Cause they had just moved into the church and I can do my stuff from there. And then I can also help out with you as, as you need uh, help. He said, sure. Moved in, started contributing where I could balancing the two sites. And that's just how it, kind of kind of went until one day about two months ago when he came into the office and the 
pulled out a little box and played the Intel chime and said, see you losers. And, so, <laughs> and then, then suddenly I was sitting on the podcast seat and uh, watching everything change. Uh, but uh, it's kind of incredible. It's been, been many years that I've, I've known these guys. I've, I, I like a stalker. I kind of felt like I was your friends before I, I officially knew you. And so it was great to, to get to know you and for you to not be able to detect my, my psychosis. You poor, poor bastard. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. You guys are great. Uh, that's how scary the rest of my life is. You guys I like are... how you two found us on Twitch be- after we were off of Twitch. Or Twit, rather. Because we used to be on Twit TV. Uh, I think when I first started, when I first found you, and then I went from Twitch to the site to the podcast, it was still being simulcast. Yes. It didn't last long, but it was that it was still being simulcast. That so it sounds like you no, and I started what, time because it was like it was one of the shows on their schedule that was on wednesday nights live mm-hmm. yeah yep. we, we're live on twit tv yep and then they did colleen and saying and teaching her things that she didn't know before oh dear no I, i'm sure that she would teach us yeah i was gonna say she seems pretty pretty wise i don't know yeah. what Anyhow, well, you know, that was a lot of nice hot dogs. That was a lot of hot dogs. We got away with hot dog down the hallway yeah. for a yeah. long time before she figured that one out. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we've we've got that out of the way, we can actually get on to our hardware software picks of the week. It's very, very exciting, especially post-Christmas where people get stuff. Oh, yeah. I, yes. And I got stuff. Um, I'm, I guess I'm up first. So let me, uh, uh, the screen sharing is a little awkward. Here we go. Okay. So I didn't get this as a gift. This was sent to us for review and the review is not up yet. It'll be up soon, but I wanted to talk about it before the madness of CES kind of pushes this off the radar. Um, it's a standing desk. It's an adjustable standing desk. And the, the key here though, that I like about this is that it's a good price and it's well-built because there's a lot of expensive ones that are well-built and there's a lot of pieces of junk out there. And this one is, it's the Sano Desk Pro from FlexiSpot. And that's F-E-F-L-E-X-I-S-P-O-T. And it's um, it's $600. So it's not cheap, cheap. It's not Ikea cheap. Um, but it's cheaper than the first standing desk I bought, which is from Steelcase and was like $2,500. So a good price. It's super solid, super easy to put together. It's three pieces. You just pull it out of the box, put the legs in, two bolts per leg and it feels real sturdy and it has um uh memory uh adjustable adjustable memory for the different heights it has stand reminders although those are probably not super useful because you've got stuff on your watch or there's apps that can do that for you uh, but it's got uh, a good weight capacity it's real sturdy the motion is smooth so if you're looking for a you know mid-range you don't want to go nuts but you want to be able to have that option to have that sit-to-stand kind of adjustable desk. Uh, this is one to look out for. They have a cheaper model uh, that is, I think, $299, and it has a lower weight capacity, and you lose all the memory. So it's just manual up and down. Uh, so that's something to check out there if you're looking for a lower price point. But I've been super happy with this, uh, and it's it's important. Uh, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. But the research that's coming out seems to very clearly indicate that sitting for long periods of time is not healthy. Uh, so being able to stand up uh, and, and work, but also having the option to sit down when you get tired, uh, that's that's important. So check that out. It's the FlexiSpots Sano Desk Pro. I was going to say, as a footnote, the IKEA one, which I think is probably a little bit more than that 
two ninety nine price point for their cheaper one you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Isn't the IKEA like mecha- like the motorized standing desk like three forty nine or something? The maybe it's, it's somewhere around that price three hundred dollars. But the thing is, you can Do you have to you solder can, the motor too. I think that comes preassembled. Okay, but the thing is impossible to buy. Is my point? It's mm-hmm. almost always out of stock because people buy them as a cheaper alternative to. Um, the more expensive ergonomic furniture options out there, which can get extremely expensive, like that $2,500 steel case. So it's kind of interesting. Like you have more options and then you have the option of one that has memory because I know the Ikea one is just up and down. Yeah, and we we had one, or I say we, those Intel traders had one at the old office that was the studio desk, was an Ikea up, basic up and down desk. And it was fine. It, was, it didn't feel as sturdy as this one. And the other thing is, is that it was loud and the motion was very you know, abrupt, rough, I should say. Uh, whereas like this a one step is, motor sort of jerk? Uh, it wasn't that bad, but it was okay. just, it wasn't, it, you, you felt it shake and it was loud. You could hear it. With this one, it's, you can hear it, but it's very smooth and it's got this kind of nice ramp. So it very slowly ramps up to speed. And then when it comes to stop, it slows down. It's, it's just a, it feels like a premium product, but it's at a price point that's, at least the last time I was shopping for this stuff, that was, it's at a price point that's that's well below the comparisons, the competitors. I, I've looked at ergonomic uh, monitor stands with like keyboard and mouse attachments that were more than this. So yeah, yeah. that world, yeah. it gets very, very, very pricey when it's business oriented. Yeah. I've never liked those ones, those sort of attachments that, that oh, make the yeah. monitor and keyboard go up. I, they, they, they never feel, I've tried a couple, they've never felt right. All right, Jeremy. Well, as a man once famously misquoted, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, won't get fooled again. <laughs> Logitech, I love I love that quote. It is it's still a brilliant one. Uh so last year, uh those who bought the uh, larger tech uh hub for their smart home uh were given a wonderful Christmas surprise where they're told that yeah, our security certificate expired. And we're not going to bother to renew it. So you're going to have to buy a new piece of hardware from us. This was not well received, strangely enough. They did back off and offered a significant discount to anyone who was going to upgrade to the new Harmony Hub, which was released in 2019. Going back just a couple of days ago, they did it again similarly. Anyone who was using their Harmony Hub uh, with a variety of XMPP plugins so that they could control things that weren't Logitech products in their smart homes were suddenly locked out. And boom, anything that wasn't specifically a Logitech API and a Logitech product, you simply couldn't do it. And I mean, most people that buy a smart home screw around with it. That's why you get it. You can make strong bad lights from your light bulbs and do all sorts of fun things. So taking all that away was pretty nasty. Again, they backed off very quickly and said, okay, well, we'll make it a beta program. You have to opt into. And if you do all of your old stuff will work, which in a way is kind of nice because it means that people who don't really know what they're doing, aren't going to opt into it. They won't have to worry about nasty strangers installing it. It's just that this is the second time that Logitech's done this. So because I couldn't find a pick, I'm going with an anti-pick, which is honestly, if you're looking for a smart home hub, 
Logitech's pretty much said that it's not the way to go. Uh, I love their mice. I just don't understand what they think they're doing, and I'm not looking forward to what happens next Christmas. So if you're shopping around, I, I strongly suggest don't don't buy it. It's the best way to discourage them from doing this is just not to buy their thing until they stop doing this sort of thing. All right. Well, okay. Something. Josh, what on. you got? What do I have? Uh, so, you know, I've been running a, a D-Link gaming router for ages, probably six years. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure the Russians lived on it. <laughs> and that's that's fine. But, you know, my, we had our issues. The wireless was fine. It was a little bit more powerful than, you know, a previous generation Netgear that I'd had. And, and there were some nice features about it. But, you know, things just... You know, and it was no longer updated and things were getting cranky. And, and my wife would often complain of not having wireless signal up in the bedroom. Live in a two-story house. It was built in like 1883. The walls are lath and plaster and thick. And and there's all kinds of wonderful, you know, reflections, uh, you know, when, when you start beaming wireless throughout the house. And uh, there were multiple dead zones. So we, uh, you know, I, for Christmas, I, I bought her the Eero system with the two Eero pods or beacons and the uh, the one kind of router. The router has two Ethernet ports. They don't care which ones you plug in to, you know, uh, do a DHCP into your network and, and the other, you know, the WAN in. Um, you just have to, the, you have to set it up on your, your cell phone, which is one thing I didn't really like. I'm a little bit more hands-on that I'd rather have, you know, like a uh, uh, browser support and set it up that way, but that wasn't an option. So I had to download their app. I uh, got that on the phone, you know, plugged it in, started communicating with everything. Uh, it, it was really easy to set up. And uh, I got it when it was still on sale for under 350 bucks. Right now it's back up to 399. But if you've got a huge house, and you really have problems with wireless. This is one of the slickest and most powerful ways that you can get a mesh network up and running. And I think that, um, I think Ken had tested ages ago a couple of different mesh systems, and and their first generation was one that that they liked the best out of out of all of them. Of course, it was the most expensive, but you do kind of get what you pay for. And it's a quad core, seven hundred megahertz ARM processor in there. And my internet speeds and latencies all improved dramatically from the old D-Link piece crap. So if you need those things, if you need a modern updated router and a mesh network, this is, you know, I think it's it's well worth the price. I've got a happy wife and uh, my kids are, are happy as well, though I I do, I am able to monitor what they do on this while I'm at the office. (laughs) And so that's, um, that's a positive thing. So crack the whip and I can disable their, uh, their wireless devices whenever I see fit. So there's, uh, there are some, some other positive things about it, but yeah, it's, it's a chunk of change. So get ready to do it, but hopefully we'll have it for a long time. And uh, yeah, the wireless performance is, is pretty outstanding. Does the app let you do port forwarding and DMZ and blocking? Oh yeah, touch? yep, nice. Yep. Okay, you gotta. I mean, you gotta dig through a little bit, and you know, well, fair I'm not enough. Really familiar with it all yet, but 
yeah, it, uh, it, it, it allows you all the regular options that, that, you know, a, a decent to high end router will, will do. Nice. Oh, it's me. Well, moving on from something practical, like, you know, blanketing your home in fast Wi-Fi with uh, fine tuning from your phone. Uh, my pick is something I actually got for Christmas and haven't even opened or started using yet, but I wanted one of these things. It is the GoTech uh, USB floppy drive emulator, which uh, I think... Why does it say SSD in there? I know I don't know just because okay. because keywords. So this is something that I think this product category exists because of uh, keyboards. Those uh, there there are like musical instrument keyboards that take floppies, and this was an alternative that allowed you to have a much larger library, and you put them on these virtual floppies on your thumb drive stick that in and you use the front panel to like cycle between which uh emulated floppy is in the so-called floppy drive at any time but i just thought it'd be kind of interesting to mess around with one of these since i have a bunch of these older computers and occasionally it is it's problematic dealing with some floppy media or i have a floppy drive that likes it and another floppy drive that doesn't like it so these things will connect to anything that accepts an actual floppy drive so you do need a floppy controller this is not a USB solution, even though it says USB. The USB is on the front panel. So once this is connected, your computer, even if it's ancient, sees, oh, there's a floppy drive, and you just say it's you know 3.5 inch, 1.44 megabyte. The motherboard sees it. And at this point, it's a matter of just properly formatting and uh, getting the right files on any like FAT32 thumb drive. And then you can cycle between all of your virtual floppies that are on the thumb drive with those buttons on the front. Now, the problem with buying it anywhere inexpensively like this, Amazon or eBay, is that you're getting a bare drive in a brown box. So you do need to go out and get the manual, which is easily available online. And then you need to go out and get some sort of software. Uh, and there's there's software on GitHub that's free uh, called, what is it called? Flash, Flash Floppy that lets you emulate Every imaginable floppy format. I know these are popular in like the Amiga community too. So just something probably useless for 99.9% of people, but still interesting. And I see this as like a way to back up some of my more rare uh, floppies because it seems like even though older floppies hold up pretty well, I have definitely encountered a few that don't read at all in anything that I try. So... Was that a dongle your, that's condom? Your, your kid was uh, wandering around the basement with a magnet. Mm-hmm. I wondered what he was doing with that, but I, you know, I just, <laughs> he just smiled sweetly at me. And that frequently bought with was that literally a dongle condom that I saw? I I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. No, that's a USB floppy. No, beside <laughs> the 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 that yeah. yeah. What? That's just a. That's just, just a flash drive with the cover. Yeah, flash drive. Oh, okay. It has a, a cover to protect it. Well, no, it looked like one of those Logitech wireless plugs that, you know, sit just far enough out the USB drive to get knocked around and destroy the USB port. Yeah. So this is maybe a carrying case for it. Well, you could probably use it as that if you threw away the flash oh, drive. Oh, no, Logitech wouldn't uh, make it compatible. 
Somebody's bitter. No, not in the least. I just bought a 502. Come on. Not that bitter. It's a nice oh, mouse, boy. too. I want one of their uh, Aptex dongles. They were on sale over Christmas for like 25 bucks, but I forgot oh, to pull the trigger. All right. Anybody else got anything else they want to complain about? Or <laughs> I just applied for a job at Intel. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's no. the secret. We all applied. They didn't hire us. Yeah, yeah. I, I got left behind, just like yep. those terrible movies or books. Yeah. Well, <sighs> we all we all tried, but we're the ones who remain, and we're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, stuck. whether we like it or not. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, folks, we're here to stay. And we know this is probably a little rough, this episode, and I'm going to try to edit this together into something real nice for you. But uh, we're like I said at the beginning, we're still working out how we're going to do this now that we don't have like a central HQ. We're all, all of us that are left uh, are, are in different locations, which is totally doable. We just haven't done it that way for a long time. So we're going to try to find some ways to do it. Like I said, if you have any suggestions on services or setups, please let us know and we'll continue to refine and, and get this sorted out. But uh, uh, we're happy you stuck with us. We're happy to see you here in 2019 and uh, Sebastian and I will be at CES next week. So uh, the, our normal podcast that night, I don't know. We're going to have to see how we how we sort that out uh, with Wi-Fi and availability. Uh, AMD's having an event that night. So we'll, we'll try to figure out something out, but we'll also have videos going up on, at the site uh, as we, talk to vendors and talk to manufacturers. So uh, check that out here at PC per as well. And uh, anybody else got any closing remarks? Uh, Happy 2019. Yeah. Let's, let's try to make it successful. I've got a monitor view that's halfway written. I was going to have it as one of the last blasts, but it just didn't work. Plus I figured more content for you is probably a good thing. <laughs> Thanks. Yes, Josh. Well, thank you, folks. Uh, hope you have a great start to your year. And like I said, stay tuned next week for CES content here at PCPro.com. And we will be back with the PC Pro podcast, if not next week, in a normal fashion, the following week. And uh, we'll see you then. Thanks. Thanks.